0: What up, peeps? One o'clock on the East Coast. That means it's 10 a.m. where Dan Nathan is. He's out there in the uh, SoCal, which is just too cool for school, as they say. Market call on this Tuesday, December 27th. Today's market call brought to you by CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity and always by our sponsor at Backset. Also our data provider, financial and data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Hopefully everybody had a great long weekend, holiday, the whole thing. This week is shortened, obviously. Volumes are going to be low, but that doesn't mean the markets aren't moving. And we saw some stuff happen overnight. Did not did we not? Yeah, it was kind of an active. Listen, the the China news and we've been talking about a little
1: bit that they've been reopening the abruptness guy in in which they've kind of rolled out this, uh, you know, the the zero covid to just basically letting millions of people be infected and, and possibly die. And then the other thing is, I thought that was interesting. So overnight, they're allowing foreign citizens to come in on January 8th to China. Like who the hell is going to China on January? I, I mean, I mean that sincerely for a whole host of reasons. If you are a U.S. business person, after the three years that we have had with them, after actually the five years, you think you're going to go to China? I know a lot of um, people who used to do a lot of business in China and Hong Kong, uh, and they just like have no intention of going for a whole host of reasons. Especially if this kind of economic war that we have going on right now gets tuned up. If you work for a big U.S. multinational, you think you want to step foot on mainland? And again, I, I don't say this. The Chinese people, I've been to China. It, is an amazing country. I would love to go back at a time where I think our countries are in a better place. But hey, listen, man, you get off the plane there and they grab your phone and they look at your Twitter and you liked something that was antagonistic to the Communist Party. And you find yourself in a little uh I don't know, you know what I mean? Like I, I I'm not down with that. You yeah, down with no, that
0: guy? It's interesting. You know, I think and you have to wonder what this is a prelude to for you fans of Broadway out there. There was a play called Prelude to a kiss back in the mid-90s, I believe. But yeah. you wonder if this is a prelude to something else. And there's a lot of China-Taiwan rumblings over the last week or so that, for whatever reason, the media's not really picking up on. But things seem to be escalating on that front. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Obviously, the futures reacted to it. The S&P rallied a bit. But we're having this sort of mixed bag day here with the Dow higher, NASDAQ lower. I mean, energy. we're going to talk about all yeah. those things. but it's hard to really parse what's going on Friday. I think it was for whatever day last week was the last day of the week. Obviously we got that little rally again, to me, it wasn't all that meaningful, but, Just a lot of cross currents for sure. The China news, though, obviously at the top of the list. Well, you know, we've been talking about this a little bit.
1: I mean, the anticipation at some point, we were anniversarying the third year of of COVID Mm -hmm. lockdowns in China. And, you know, at some point they were going to reopen. And we've been talking about this. What is the chance that the Chinese reopening with, you know, listen, their economy heating up will be a great thing for the globe. But what if it happens to COVID? You know, it it just happens when the U.S. is going in recession, when Europe is going in recession, may kind of cancel each other out. And we have a one-day chart of the future. I think they were up like 75 basis points S&P overnight. And then we had some housing data that came in um, that, you know, showed that housing is slowing, but it's still pretty hot. And if you look at that, what happened, you know, we just kind of gave up uh, most of the gains. And here we are. We're kind of down on the day. The other thing is, if you just look at the S&P, the one year chart here, Guy, I mean, don't think for a second, you know, that you know tesla which is the fifth largest holding and we're going to hit that down five percent in the pre-market down five percent that that's not weighing Mm -hmm. on the s&p futures and we're going to hit some of the major stocks in the s&p 500 but again you know you can say that that's a trend line on the uptrend i don't know it's connecting two points our main man carter likes to have three points but clearly an important level you and i both think that at some point in the not so distant future we're going to be retesting those october lows in the s&p futures
0: yeah i think so and i think a lot of people coming Around to that um, way of thinking. I'll say this you know, that weird day we saw on the CPI day when we had that huge spike higher, only to close, I believe, sort of unchanged on the day. And you can see it there. That's the violation of that downtrend line. But that to me is something I think we'll be talking about for months to come, sort of that false breakout. Not unlike what we saw, if you really remember back, we saw a huge false breakout. And the small caps in the IWM a long, long time ago. And when we talked about that, maybe tomorrow we'll take a look at that chart. But this is eerily reminiscent. That took place over the course of a couple days. This obviously took place in the course of a couple hours. But if you look at this, again, it's not that I'm bearish for the sake of being bearish. You just try to (laughs) connect the dots and figure out what's going on. And I don't know what positive catalysts are out there. And I keep going back to the David Tepper interview last week on CNBC where he basically mirrored and echoed a lot of the things that we've been saying. I'm not suggesting he listens to watches, but I only say that because I was echoing what he would have been saying prior to that. So it all sort of makes sense to me. You know, his thesis of don't fight the Fed by being bearish when the Fed's adding liquidity and lowering rates, it stands to reason that if you're bullish in this environment when they're raising rates and taking away liquidity, you're doing the same thing. You're fighting that Federal Reserve. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, again, you know, you you made that point again and again. um, And I think it's really,
1: I think it's, you know, an important one, um, you know, and I think also the timing in which he came out, guy, towards the end of the year. I'll tell you, you want to hear a good David Tepper story? So I was at, I'm not going to name any other names here. So I was at, this was February um, 1st, I think, of of 2020, okay? So um, the January 28th was a Friday, and the stock market had just gotten killed. It was before anybody was taking COVID seriously, except you ready for this? Except China. And I remember seeing him. It was at a Super Bowl party. He is the owner of the Panthers. And I was with a couple other market sort of people, pundits, you know, that sort of thing. And listen, we use his name all the time. He's the founder of Appaloosa, okay, like this hedge fund, which was one of the best performing hedge funds over the last 20 something years so before he was an nfl owner and he brings me over and a couple other guys because we were just chit-chatting about this what the hell happened in the stock market that day and i remember talking to his guys and just these are the guys who managed some of his financial stuff and i just remember saying this And we had been saying it guy all of january 2020 on our show on fast money we did not have market call back then we said that the chinese have locked down a city larger than any city yep. in the U S that we've never even heard of. And you think nothing's going on. You don't want to pay attention to that. You know what I mean? And so, and I think it's interesting. I think a week or so later, I think he probably did a lot of talking to a lot of different people. And I think he went on on Squawk and friends on CNBC and made a very bearish outlook. You know what I mean? So again, that's why you listen to a guy like that. It was really interesting to get his take on that day. And my take was, and we've been saying it, For all of January and February, we're like, something's going on
0: here. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because this happens, and now we're getting in a bit of a conversation because we're going to look at charts in a second as well. But when people um, back, you know, when David Tepper says something that backs up somebody's dogma, in other words, if you're bullish and he comes out bullish, you're like David Tepper's a genius. The same thing happens with Warren Buffett all the time. If he says something that sort of reinforces your belief system in the market, He's a genius. However, when those people sort of do something yeah. counter to your beliefs, you know, they've lost something off their fastball. Well, maybe he's not right this time. He's been wrong before. And it's fascinating to hear that. Again, it comes down to, you know, the reinforcement of what you want to believe. I just listened to him and take in all the things that he's been saying all along. And it's interesting you say that about China, real quick, because I remember saying, if you believe, you know, this is going on. So you can't have it both ways. You can't be bullish when China's a growth engine. For all things U.S. and Apple and Starbucks and McDonald's and then discount it to your point when they're closing down a city that's bigger than anything we have here in the United States. Yet people do that over and over again. Yeah, they do. Well, we're going to to hit some of those NASDAQ stocks because again, you know, some of the stuff on like this is CME,
1: this is macro day here, Guy, but a lot of the things that are moving around have a huge impact on on some of these US multinationals. Just really quickly, because the NASDAQ 100 futures, we've been talking about this, you know, you just mentioned that the S&P got above its 200-day moving average. Well, the Nasdaq 100 futures did not, and they never breached mm-hmm. that. Like, look at to the penny, as our friend Carter would say, um, on the downtrend. And one of the reasons I'd say this uptrend that the Nasdaq 100 futures are sitting on right now is more important than that S and P um, uptrend because this is the third point, right? We have that October low, then we had the retest in November, and now we're kind of retesting it again. And look at how much closer we are to those October lows. And again, we know that there's been this huge rotation into value, um, and and you know I'm. Not Not sure how long that's going to last when you think about some of the areas where it's also we've seen rotation into like staples which are not exactly valued but deemed defensive in the same right that some people you know kind of look at like value stocks to me that's not the sort of thing that helps put in a bottom what is going to put in a bottom is the s&p or the nasdaq futures excuse me you know careening lower and having some sort of capitulation at some point early next year but i'll say this guy and i don't know if you're catching this too you know It's kind of becoming consensus that
0: the first quarter or the first
1: half of 2023 is going to be really bad for the stock market. That also makes me a little nervous.
0: No, it makes you you nervous in terms of your thesis. I understand that. But, you know, it doesn't mean, again, part of the consensus, though, into the fall was you'd get this year-end rally and then you'd have a terrible first quarter. You really haven't seen, you know, we have a couple days left here. You haven't seen a meaningful rally. So that part of it seems to have been shot down a little bit. And, you know, sometimes consensus can be right as well. And and, and I know you know that, but I understand what you're saying. It seems a foregone conclusion that everybody seems to think lower. I'll say this. It doesn't feel, again, to me, like we've capitulated to the downside. I think... That capitulation will look like a number of things. And we'll talk about individual stocks in a minute. But you know, Apple giving up, which it is today, a new 52-week low. We'll look at that. Obviously, we'll talk about Tesla, but all these tech stocks now with rates going higher, seemingly under pressure. Again, it's hard to paint a bullish outlook. You just look at these charts and you say to yourself, you know, there should be one more leg lower here yeah. before something happens, before there's a change in sentiment or there's just a Basically evaluation where you can get your arms around that type of thing. I just don't think we're there yet. Well, and, and that's
1: the point. I mean, and yields, I mean, you and I both thought that they would top out when they did. I did not expect to kind of catch a bounce here. We're looking at the 10-year U.S. No. Treasury yield and look where, you know, it, it kind of bounced where it should have in, in that three and a half sort of range, uh, if you will. And that the uh, uptrend that had been in place for about a year is also where it happened. But talk to me, Guy, a little bit about why you think that's happening. And then let's talk about this 210 um, yield um, spread here, because, you know, you you'd been calling for first uh, a 50 basis point, you know, wide, which was massive. And then it almost got to 1%. And and here we are, we're kind of rallying a little bit. The, the two year, okay, is staying steadfast bid. And that's because the data is maybe the economic data is coming in hotter. So now the whole notion that the Fed is going to have to stick around with high rates for longer, but you and I were both in the camp that the 10 year would continue to go lower as a reflection of growth. Now, some people say, we're misreading that. Curious on the whole, yield picture as we had in yeah, 2023
0: it, this one's got me a li- little bit confused <laughs> you know we talked about the potential for twos tens to go to a one percent inversion and i thought it would happen in the form of sort of four and a half in two years three and a half in 10 year and i think what we wound up getting was 347 or something in the 10 year and i think we got down to about 430 at around the same time so yeah. that 83 basis points i mean it's not close enough but it got pretty close so What is 10-year yields moving higher here mean? Well, go back to the 10-year yield chart. I don't think it means our economy is getting stronger by any stretch of the imagination. To me, what it means is, again, just my opinion, despite the fact that the economy is slowing, and that was a move from 4.30 down to 3.5, there's still a problem with inflation. And don't discount for a second, with China reopening, that does not help uh, yields to go lower. Again, just my opinion. And again, you've gotten Mm -hmm. a bounce in some of these commodities which I think suggests that inflation is still problems. That's the pro- again. That's sort of the conundrum that this Federal Reserve is facing. You know, it's seemingly things are working out, but when there's a sense that they might take their foot off the pedal, the things that were problematic start to reaccelerate again. So I don't think necessarily um, they're all that thrilled about yields moving the way they are. But maybe I'm missing the boat here. But again, just to synthesize it, I don't think 10-year yields moving higher is bullish i don't think they're moving higher because things are getting better Yeah, well, I guess, you know,
1: if we look at the CME FedWatch tool, you know, if we're looking out to March and the next meeting is Feb 1, but then in March, you know, there's uh, what a uh, nearly, I don't know, 50 some percent probability that we see the upper band of Fed funds at 5%. And then there's, Mm -hmm. you know, a 25% probability or something that we see at five and a quarter. I don't know if that math is correct, but I'm just kind of (laughs) eyeballing that a little bit. Um, Guy, you just mentioned commodities. You actually been talking about this for a while, the combination of, let's say, yield coming lower right and then China reopening you would have this commodity move and again you know this is one of the reasons why you know I think stocks are obviously having a tough time over the last couple weeks or so since that last Fed meeting you know we basically you know the Fed said this and whether the algos read it or not is that the rate that has been elevated in historic fashion is going to stay elevated for a while even though we're seeing the chances of Fed increases or rate increases you know kind of decline, at least the size of them, that sort of thing, and the amount of them next year. But this crude chart is really interesting to me because, you know, just as people were doing this um, for, I guess, sport, when we saw, you know, uh, a, a gallon of gas at 5 $6, you know, six months ago, now they're posting under $3, okay? And so if you look at crude oil, I mean, this is not that bullish of a chart, guy. I, I would expect maybe, you know, a rejection at that downtrend mm-hmm. and another test of those recent lows, which were nearly 52-week lows.
0: Well, a rejection there, this is where things are going to get really interesting, right? Because a rejection there suggests that we're still in this pretty significant downtrend. And I think if it does get rejected there, those lows that we have, the green lines, those horizontal lines, I think they get taken out. I think under that scenario, I'm one of these people that thinks it's not going to get rejected there and we'll probably trade up to the 200-day moving average. We'll see. That's what makes markets. It's interesting that although the energy stocks have clearly sold off. We saw it in the form of the OIH, the XLE. They all sold off. They didn't sell off um, in that meaningful way. In other words, the commodity definitely underperformed, but the stocks, you know, hung in there in sort of if you apples to apples version, if we try to equate the two. Yeah. Which I th- still think is interesting. A lot of people talking about energy stocks for, for to be the driver in 2023. Um, again, we had... We had an analyst came on to Fast Money two weeks ago or so and suggested that crude could rally 50% in terms of Brent into May of next year. We'll see. And then we had, again, Halima Croft on our podcast, on the tape, talking about she didn't give numbers and and levels for crude, but I think overall she was bullish at these levels. So it's fascinating to see. But again, crude going higher here I, I don't think is particularly bullish for the broader market and yeah, it makes let, the Fed's job that much more difficult. Let me tell you this. And I know
1: that you traded crude and a lot of commodities for a while and I never really trade them. I've traded ETFs in, around them for years and, and I don't pretend to have the kind of macro understanding that you or many other people do. I'll just say this. If we get through towards the end of February and crude has not meaningfully rallied and not much has changed with the situation in Ukraine, I, I think you're going to see crude get absolutely slayed. I think you're going to see it much lower. And um, again, this happens to be my view is just that we're going to have an economic malaise for the better part of 2023. I think the China, you know, reopening might be in commodities like crude. And then even listen, I'd love to see a peaceful resolution as almost everybody on the planet would other than maybe Putin and some, some of his, um, you know, some of his comrades there um, to what's going on with Ukraine. But if that thing, it just stays in this, you know, kind of stasis with Ukrainians holding their own. I mean, I, mean, I just don't – I don't see a scenario and, – and, and let me tell you something. If there was ever a solution to it, can you imagine if there was like a peaceful resolution that the rest of the world, the West, felt good about? I mean, crude's going much lower, I mean, mm-hmm. in, in, my, in my opinion. And then the other – the flip side of it is, is that after – when we anniversary guy, the one year of this thing, which is coming up in the next month or two or something like that, think about how much time Western Europe has to wean themselves off of their dependence – on russian oil and so we might just have a new world order as it relates to demand for commodities natural gas and crude which could change the whole supply demand you know situation and the leverage that people like the russians have on the west
0: yeah no listen all great points and that's obviously an outcome that could happen and to your point if those things do come to fruition crude's going to go lower and then you wonder what's going to happen in broader markets that's rally the s p what happens to yields um yeah, and there's a chance of that happening. I Personally, I think that things get worse before they get better. I'm obviously not hoping for that. I'm just trying to get yeah. inside the guy's head. And yeah. this is something I've said from the beginning. He, he cannot tolerate losing, whatever the word means, to Ukraine. I don't think that's palatable to him. I think he can understand and tolerate losing, taking on NATO and losing to NATO, because the history books will suggest that, He's the one guy that tried to restore the grandeur of the Soviet Union by taking on NATO and losing. I think that's something that he could um, wrap his arms around. So yeah. what does that mean? What does he have to do to sort of initiate that? And I think, you know, the seeds are set. And Halima Croft spoke to that as well. well if you go back and saying, listen to our podcast.
1: You're saying testing a tactical nuke. Okay. Yeah. So like he's and, not and likely. doing something to,
0: antagonistic can to something a NATO though? nation.
1: I tell So, Guy, if you test a a tactical nuke somewhere where there's no, you know, kind of, um, you know, casualties, that sort of thing, I mean... I think the whole world, I think it backfires big time. I think the whole thing has backfired on him. I don't think, I mean, I, you know, what do I know? I was a poli-sci major 25 years ago. Um, <clears throat> but I'll just say that I, I get it. I just think that a lot of very smart people, including Halima, are saying the chances of him doing something on that front for the very reasons that you've been saying for a very long time. And I think that's really interesting. So watch stuff that's going on on the, on the border of Poland, to your point, right? Because um, there's a lot of funky stuff to go on there. All right. Let's just hit the dollar here, guy, because this is one where if you look at the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index, again, we know that 50% of that is the euro here. It kind of had that blow off top. It's at a key technical level. I think it's interesting what the dollar is doing relative to what the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield is doing. So thoughts here, because clearly this is good year over year or quarter over quarter sequentially for U.S. multinationals, right, who rely on sales overseas. But this is a one-year chart, and you still see that year over year – you know, difficult comparisons. Are we likely to see the US. dollar just kind of implode? And what would when I say implode? I don't know, come back into right. you know one hundred or something like that. That was a psychological important level. And what would that mean, I guess, for equity valuations? I guess a lot of it has to do with where yields are also.
0: Yes, a hundred percent. yields are a big component of this. but now you've seen uh, central bank intervention on behalf of their currency. and yeah. I go back to you know, the Bank of Japan, they intervened in their currency a few months ago directly to try to slow down its uh, sell-off, and then they basically did it through the rate market recently. As I think it was last week or the week before. I'm losing track of time, but you know they're moving interest rates there, were again to support, I believe, the yen, and it was successful. Now we'll see how long it's successful for, but the point is. A stronger US dollar was proving to be a bit of a wrecking ball, especially for emerging markets. And somebody needed to do something to slow it down. Now, what I find really interesting, despite the fact that rates have gone higher here in a pretty meaningful way in 10 year, you haven't seen the same bounce at all in the dollar. So there's a disconnect. And again, you know, I'm not an economist. I say it all the time. I don't necessarily understand what it means, but if the dollar continues to go lower, you're right, it'll be. Uh, tailwind for U.S. multinationals, but also be a tailwind for the commodities market. So, do they cancel each other out? You know, that's why you're really in an environment now where you can look at a lot of these things, and again, depending on your dogma, you can make any you can make any rationalization or any decision you want to make. Yeah, uh, I do think you know you mentioned commodities and the weakening dollar and what
1: that means for them. There's there is one commodity, a shiny one, that you have been bullish of, um, of late here. And it really does look like it wants to break out a little bit here. And it's liking that weakness in the dollar. And you look at that kind of steepness of the uptrend, but I think that consolidation in and around the 200 day moving average is kind of interesting. It's just above those um, highs from earlier this year, maybe back in the spring, summer or so. And I think I, you know, I, I caught you. I know that I wasn't on the segment of on the tape last Thursday. I caught you and Danny Moses talking about gold. And I think my name was brought up a little bit. You guys are saying I'm not a believer, here but a lot of the things are starting to align a little bit and least of which is the technicals here because again you can draw a bunch of different lines maybe we'll get carter later on this week and talk about gold i know he has also been bullish of it from a technical standpoint but this thing looks like it's kind of trying to make a little bit of a bottom
0: here yeah i agree with that and you know one of the things we have been talking about on on the tape we talked about it on fast money and i think we brought it up on this show as well is the fact that central banks are buying gold in record amounts 2022 was probably going to go down as a record year for central bank purchases of gold. Now, it hasn't manifested itself in the price. I totally understand that. And quite frankly, again, we play this game a lot. If you had told me at the beginning of the year how much gold central banks would be buying and all the things that would happen over the course of the year, I would have said gold's at least $2,500 an ounce, if not higher. Obviously, that's not the case. But it has seemed to put in a short-term bottom. It is flirting with the 200-day moving average. It's still trading on this sort of Uh, pretty steep uptrend line. And the question is, what's going to be the catalyst? I don't know the answer to that. Is it the aforementioned China, Taiwan? Is it something, again, escalating in in Western Europe? I I don't, again, I don't know, but it's certainly behaving a lot better than it has. I mean, it it was pretty difficult sledding uh, from early spring into the fall.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it, unless you're like a commodities trader and actively trading, you know, these sorts of things and taking a bunch of different macro inputs, you know, most people would suggest that, you know, gold should be what a a few percentage of your portfolio always as as a bit of an inflation um sort of hedge. I'd say if you had done that over the last couple years it really didn't do a whole heck of a lot so so we'd mm-hmm. have to be entering you know a new kind of world order as it relates to risk assets and inflation on the back side of what was clearly a funky few years as it relates to the pandemic black swan event global banks and, and central banks and what they had to do to combat it. And maybe that is the ingredient, you know what I mean? For this rally. And I think you guys were talking about some strategist was out there calling for 4,000 or yeah. something like that. So well, and
0: I said, get me to 2000 first, but there yeah. are people that, and we're going to talk about Bitcoin. So I'll save that. But yeah, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with Bitcoin as well, but we'll move on until we get yeah, there. No,
1: but you got, all right, listen, let's just look at the Bitcoin futures really quickly here because, you know, we, we don't have to spend too much time on it. I know your view is that, okay, when central banks pivot, um, and they get more dovish. That's when this thing happens. I mean, it adds like it acts like death here, guy. You know, it's below that kind of you know that seventeen thousand sort of level. It's consolidating here. Feels like it wants to make another leg lower. And I do think it's interesting that you know we've often talked about when Bitcoin was raging from twenty thousand to forty thousand to sixty thousand, it definitely stole some of the luster of gold. 100%. The idea of using this digital thing that's easy to buy and sell, and you know people don't physically own the gold that they're basically speculating for the most part, you know what I mean um, as it relates to an inflation hedge. So why not Bitcoin if, if everyone thinks it's that thing? Well it proved not to be that thing. It acts like death here. Um, again, I don't think we have to spend too much time on no. it, but I guess you're your not but, yeah. but
0: it's interesting and again, you know I'm glad you brought that up because <clears throat> in, the, in the world of Bitcoin and you know the fact that I think Bitcoin was created to combat fiat currencies and again central banks that have sort of gone astray, in a year when, again, Bitcoin a lot of headlines, it's record amount of buying not in Bitcoin by central banks, but in gold. So, central banks are, t- I think, are telling you something with their purchases, and it's not coincidental that Bitcoin is really um, done nothing while gold is sort of rallying here. So, just keep an eye on that yeah. correlation because it's been inverse for a while. And there's some really strange things under the surface here as well. All right. Speaking of strange, stranger things here, Guy, we have three stocks, three
1: tech stocks that we think are important. We talked about those NASDAQ futures and they're sitting right on that uptrend. And I do think it's interesting that, you know, um, when I look at the top holdings in the NASDAQ 100, they obviously change. Um, Apple is no longer in the QQQ. That's the ETF that tracks the NASDAQ 100. It is no longer the top holding. Microsoft, okay, has kind of, um you know it's kind of uh you know, supplanted would, it supplant nice word there okay but microsoft still has a 1.8 trillion dollar market cap you know apple has a 2 trillion and i do think it's interesting that apple is now making matched 52 week lows it's down nearly you know i want to say 30 um percent or so yeah, this is apple. That,
0: and a year yeah. ago i think is when it made its all-time high yeah, so so Apple,
1: you know, is the one that's shown this relative um, outperformance, and if you look at that thing. I mean, one hundred and thirty. This is a big level. We look at it in a five year. This is a a trend line that Carter Braxtonworth has used. It was former um, resistance a few years ago on the way up. If you look at that, this is a five year chart, and then it was kind of support. We just broke that uptrend, and if you look to the downside, I mean. I don't know, Guy, can we get down easily to, you know, 120, 110 or so? I know that, um, you know, we keep ratcheting those kind of expectations lower. But for all the reasons that we've been talking about some of these other issues that U.S. multinationals are having with supply chains, with inflation, with China, zero COVID or whatever, you know, Apple, you've often said last battle fought.
0: Yep. And that's what we're seeing. I I think that's what we're seeing happen right in front of us. I think what's interesting here about Apple um, and all the things we talk about is the fact that typically, and when I say typically going back five or six years, we have seen sell-offs of this magnitude. To your point, we're probably off now close to 30% from its all-time high. However, this has taken a lot longer to happen. We're talking over the course of about 12 months where typically these sell-offs of that magnitude only last a few months. Again, I don't know what it means, But this is a pretty prolonged, and it is, a bear market in Apple. So how does it resolve itself? Because quite frankly, even though the stock has sold off considerably, it's still expensive when compared to the broader market and when you just look at the metrics of the company. So- I don't know. I you know, we've said it for a while, 115 to 120. It certainly appears as though that's where it's headed. Well, here's the thing. So so what happens here is the
1: realization that um, all the supply chain issues, the company has obviously executed pretty well in a very difficult environment. They have very expensive products, they have all the margin for those products as it relates to smartphones, but Chinese demand could be waning at a time where you know the costs associated with making those for you know, kind of moving production away from the supply chains, away from China it could eat on those margins a little bit. So again, I think you're probably gonna see um, a pretty negative quarter out of uh, out of Apple, we know that the lead times on iPhones have been really difficult since they launched this new product, and then maybe that's how this thing bottoms a yes. little bit because you've seen. You're probably... Well, we've
0: seen that before, though. And I'm not, but yeah. you know, we have seen historically that when they come out with some catastrophic guide, you know, you're usually within a couple weeks of a bottom, not only in the stock but in the broader yeah. market as well. So, to a certain extent, I think that you're almost hoping for that.
1: Yeah. And then let's just kind of piece this together with two other stocks here. So NVIDIA is another one we've been talking about it a lot. Again, you know, if you look at it from, you know, here's a two-year chart here, it just got rejected. It had that breakout, but it got rejected at that downtrend. Um, had a massive, I think you've been highlighting this a few times, 50, 60% off of those lows. And it likely tests that for all the reasons that we talked about as it relates to Apple. You know, we're seeing huge inventories build up of all different sorts of chips as consumer demand um, has kind of waned. So these stories are kind of related. Let's kind of take another look at this one when it's kind of retesting those October lows. But there's a five-year chart. And, you know, this is not how a stock bottoms right where it's supposed to, right, guys? Just like this thing massively overshot to yep. the upside, it could do so to the downside. And the other point I just make is that, you know, this thing, as far as, you know, being down 50% on the year or so, still has a $350 billion market cap, still trades at about 12 times expected next year's sales, mm-hmm. still really rich here. And I will mention this also, Guy, it is very near the market cap of tesla which is down what 65 almost 70 percent from its all-time highs. so again thoughts on nvidia and then let's finish up with tesla let's get out of here
0: well look i mean we've talked about it. it's rallied over it went 108 low on october 14th i think traded up to 182 i mean you can start doing that math you're talking about a 65 70 bounce in a very short period of time yeah. in a stock that's still been cut in half so the bounce was probably more than I thought, although somewhat expected because we talked about it. But now you're in the next leg lower and it's still an expensive stock and it's sold off pretty precipitously over the last couple of weeks as well. So I think you're probably going to see another leg lower in this one, which again is a good thing because Nvidia to a certain for a lot of people are the poster child for global growth. And let's look at Tesla because I think you've done a great job. Danny Moses has been short this stock for quite some and right, by the way. Yep. And th- and despite the fact that it bounced in the aftermarket last week when Elon Musk got on, I think, Twitter spaces and said that he was done selling for the next few years. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. And I think the stock said. closed that day at 124, I think, in the aftermarket it traded up to 129. Well, look what it's done since. I mean, that's not all that impressive. And again, what does this speak to? I think Tesla's important because I think it speaks to market sentiment. And people start looking around and say, holy shit. Tesla is now more than 60% off its all-time high. That's not insignificant. Guy, it's more than 70%. I mean, the stock's down 8.5% today. I mean, it
1: really feels like as long as the market stays open this week, the stock is going to careen lower. And, you know, again, I mean, this is going to be one of those situations where a year ago at this time, this guy people thought was going to be a trillionaire in the not-so-distant future here. And think about that, you know, I mean, Listen, it's astounding. I hope we talk about this story a lot less. I mean, this is like a bubble that people are going to be writing about and talking about for decades and decades to come as it relates to markets and valuation and the cult of personality. I mean, the list goes on and on. But it's important, again, because it's one of the top five or six holdings in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. It's also important to recognize that, you know, almost every stock other than Apple that I can think of is basically – retested or gone back and and kind of flirted with those pre-pandemic highs or so. And so, you know, you got to go much lower. This stock's got to get cut in half again to be down there. So why do we keep harping on these things? Why are we keep talking about Apple, NVIDIA, and Tesla? The broad market cannot bottom until these things capitulate to the downside. And maybe Tesla's close to capitulating. But, man, it just seems like this is the sort of story that fundamentals – um, will dictate what wh- where the stock kind of bottoms out. And I got to tell you, I think fundamentals are probably, you know, assuming it's a level below 100.
0: Yeah, a lot of people were talking about that. I mean, good kudos to Danny. You were short the stock. So, and yeah. again, we're not haters. I mean, I, I'm I, a hater. You know. I, I uh, well, You know what, you know what? I'm enough. a
1: hater. I'm a hater guy on this story because there was so much unusual sentiment around, positive sentiment around him as the CEO of this company. And it was the easiest trade on the board because once he started sleeping and. Twitter's headquarters when he took this thing over and he was lying repeatedly about him not selling stock or or being done selling stock. And that's why when we talked about him saying last week that okay, he says he's done selling stock on a Twitter spaces, he has pledged hundreds of millions of shares. Okay. And if the stock continues to go lower, he's going to be forced to sell the stock. And maybe that's you know the investment banks that are selling the stock, that's but he's right. selling his stock. I mean, make no mistake about it.
0: It could be a semantics game for sure. I yeah. mean, and he might be ro- correct in terms of he's not selling, but somebody yeah. clearly is. And yeah. I think before we get out of here, it's worth pointing out that for the first time, I think in four years, um, the, the ARC ETF is below 30. Yeah. And, and that's a story in and of itself, but we'll talk about that in another show. But that's it today, Dan yeah. Nathan. We from did it, guy. Paul. I want to thank CME Group, obviously. Always thank FactSet. Always thank our audience for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. I believe with Carter Braxtonworth, if I'm not mistaken, enjoy the rest of the day because despite the fact that there's not a lot of volume, a lot of weird things happening, keep your heads up folks. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Thanks guy.